Amen. Thank you, worship team. Let's pray together as we turn to God's word this morning. Father God, we come before you this morning and we just again say thank you. We again bow before you and say that we trust you, that we love you. We thank you that you are here with us, that you sent Jesus to be with us, that we could see and know and understand your heart for us, that you could save us. God, you are good. And as we explore these stories this morning, we pray that you'd open our eyes to see you a little more clearly, to understand you a little more deeply, to follow you a little more closely. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the one thing that doesn't super change when there's less people in the room is about the same number of people will be laughing at my jokes this morning, as normally happens. But uh, turn with me this morning to Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to open with this passage, and then we're going to look at a different passage. But I just like this one. It's one of my favorites. So we're going to look at it. Hebrews chapter 6. And it's going to lead us into some of the things that we're talking about this morning. But I invite you to turn with me this morning. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 to 19. And it says this, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hope, hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Amen. Do you believe God is faithful? Do you believe he he will do what he has promised? Even if it takes a long time. Even if that promise was made days or weeks or years, or even centuries ago, do you believe God is faithful? That he can do what he has said. That he will do what he has said. It's a hard question to answer because it's easy to say yes, but what does it mean to actually believe that? To believe that God is faithful, that what he says is true, that what he promises will be fulfilled. What would it look like? What difference would it make in your life if you lived like you believed it? Would anything look different? This morning we're going to be continuing in our Advent series, God with us as we try to understand and embrace the truth that God wants to be with us. He didn't create us to be separate from him, to be distant from him, and he is not hiding away from us, pushing us away, judging us from afar. We are his treasured creation. 
His precious children. He loves us. God loves you. And He likes you. And He wants to be with you so badly that He came here to us to be born, to live, to walk and talk and eat and drink and be with us. And then to save us from ourselves, from our own sin, not his, and then to die for us. Completely innocent, undeserving. Because he wants to be with us. And he wants us to be with him. This morning we're going to look at a story that falls a little bit outside of the normal Advent readings. The story of Simeon and Anna in Luke chapter 2. A story of God's faithfulness and fulfilled promises of the patience And faith of these saints, of of dedication and longing and prayer and impossible promises. Promises that so many thousands waited so many years to be fulfilled to the point that many even wondered if God had forgotten. But it's the story of what Jesus meant. What he had come to do. Who he had come to save. And the faith that these believers had that God would do what he said. Again, this story is found in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. And this is right after the story of the birth of Jesus with the angels appearing to the shepherds. And going to visit the baby in the manger. Becoming the first worshipers that Jesus had outside of heaven. After that incredible night, you wonder how Mary and Joseph might have felt when you have a child, that day is full of excitement and stress and panic as the labor and delivery is such a painful and dramatic thing. How much more 2,000 years ago, away from your own town, your own home, in a stranger's barn, having traveled so many miles, Mary and Joseph would have been exhausted. I know we were. And we were in a nice clean hospital room at the Grey Nuns. They would have been excited. They would have been in awe of their first child. Confused by these visitors that showed up. We picture that scene and we have some soft music kind of playing in the background and a warm glow and we have the scene in our minds of what it was like when the shepherds arrived but it was a cold, dark cave, probably. And Mary had just given birth and then these men show up at the door. But they understood the depth. Of what was happening. God had been walking with them. Speaking with them. They saw what God was doing. And then. It's the next morning. And then one day passes. And two days. And three days pass. And I wonder. 
if things start to feel normal for Mary and Joseph, you kind of start to settle into a rhythm, a pattern. I remember the morning after the birth of our first child. It's a weird day. All of a sudden, there's a baby there. And it's amazing. It's overwhelming. I remember one friend, the, the morning after they had their first child, I called him just to congratulate him, and he said he was very excited to get home from the hospital so they could get some rest. And I think I'm still laughing about that. But I think I'm just remembering that moment, looking at your child in the morning, and the overwhelming sense of joy and responsibility and all these things that flood all over you. The next day, there's, it's just, it's hard. But there's all these amazing pieces. As you try to figure out what parenting and caring for a baby is all about. But pretty quickly, it starts to feel normal. And Mary and Joseph start getting ready to do the normal things that they have to do. And Joseph has maybe been out gathering some food and supplies for them a little bit and taking care of Mary as she rests and recovers and days pass. And then as any faithful Jewish family would, they get ready to take Jesus to the temple. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses... Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, As you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. 
When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Who are these individuals? And why does God call special attention to them? Why did he speak through them? We really don't know much about either of them, but the things that God does tell us helps us to see what he is doing, what he wants us to learn. We begin this passage with Mary and Joseph doing just what they're supposed to do. They are following the law, being obedient and submitting as they've displayed over and over again already. Their humility and submission before God is a huge inspiration and challenge to each one of us. And they travel to Jerusalem to do what they're supposed to do and they encounter this man, Simeon. Now, Simeon in this story is described as righteous and devout. And as we read this story in English, we would probably just glance over these words and carry on. We would think and understand that he is, they mean that he's a, a nice, devoted, serious follower of God. But these words, righteous and devout, actually meant something to Luke's audience, the people that Luke was writing this story to. The Greek word for righteous here was also used to describe Job and many of the other prophets in the Old Testament. It's a word that carries weight with Luke's readers. It's it's a spiritual authority, a holiness, a call for respect and, and understanding that this is someone that was called by God. And it's a similar thing with the word devout. Again, we just think of someone who takes their faith seriously. But the Greek word is specifically used to describe people of leadership and authority in Greek culture. And was used by Greek writers to describe Abraham. This isn't just a good person who takes their faith seriously. God is showing us here that this is a man who was a leader. That people respected. Someone people understood as a man of God and and of authority. And so it's interesting then that this story comes right after the story of the shepherds. Because God is doing something here for us. The shepherds represented the least of these and showed us that Jesus had come to save everyone. That God sees those that others overlook. That we might think are unimportant. They are not unimportant to God. And God honored these shepherds first and above and beyond anyone else. But following that story, God is showing us that Jesus also is also recognized by those in authority. By those with influence and respect. The shepherds show us that God sees everyone. But Simeon is the voice that the people would hear. That the Messiah has come. That hope has arrived. That's God's promises 
have been fulfilled. It says that Simeon had received a word from the Lord that he would not die before the Messiah was born, but it doesn't say how long he waited. Abraham waited for over a decade for God's promise to be fulfilled. The Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years before they entered the promised land. How long did Simeon wait? Did God tell him in his youth that he would not die before he saw the Messiah? Or was it right before it happened? We don't know. But his faith was strong. And maybe even stronger than mine, he believed, he trusted that what God has said he would do. And even after a few days, I probably would have tried to explain away whatever I had thought or experienced or felt. It was just a dream or my own thought, wishful thinking. I'd explain it and excuse it away, but Simeon believed. And God delivered. In verse 27, it says, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. God was leading him. God was with him. God was guiding him right to the Messiah. Because how else would he know which family? Again, we have to remember all the parts of this story. This is the time of the Roman census where everyone had to return to their hometown to register. That's why Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem in the first place. So how many young families would have been flooding Jerusalem and even the temple at exactly that very moment? But God led him by the Spirit to the child. What was that like? What did he experience? What was God doing? How did he, how did he hear? How did he know? Did he feel something? Did he hear something? Sense something? But whatever it was, Simeon was led to this child and he encounters the Messiah promised millennia before. The salvation of his people and of the whole world. Verse 28, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the light of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Mary and Joseph are reminded again of who and what this child is. It would be easy in those first few weeks to kind of fall into survival mode as you recover and learn to care for your first baby. Every parent knows that struggle and the joy and exhaustion of caring for that first baby. And you struggle to find some sense of normal, some feeling of being in control of anything. 
And Mary and Joseph would have been no different, but this was no ordinary child, and God doesn't let them forget that and fall into complacency. Jesus is different. And Simeon calls their mind to that. It's a blessing and a prophecy. But it's not all heavy, and God brings them an encouragement, another voice. To declare that the Messiah has come. And to this point, it has been a parade of men coming to honor this child and visit this poor new young mother. Ask any new mother how much they would love to have a bunch of men they don't know come right after uh, they've given birth and gather around her in the hours and days right afterwards. Probably not. Mary was very gracious. But now God sends a woman to connect with Mary and care for her. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day. Fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna's story is fascinating too, and it shows us the heart of God, what he values, what he cares about. She was married for seven short years and then she was a widow either until she was 84 years old or for 84 years, depending on the translation, putting her well over 100 years old at this point. But she has had a long journey with God and has seen his faithfulness and his love. Some might have even wondered and probably even asked her, very untactfully, why she never remarried. Why doesn't she work? How can she just be here worshiping every day? But already this calls us forward to the story of Mary and Martha. Martha so busy trying to do things for Jesus and Mary just sitting at his feet. God desires our worship, not our work. He wants our heart, not our hands. Service and work and effort flow out of our worship. We serve and work and we live on mission with Him, but only in response to who He is. Never trying to earn something or prove something to Him. And Anna shows us what God truly cares about. And He honors her and He draws her into His story. Showing us that he sees men and women, both his creation, both loved by him. And he brings her to encourage Mary. And then to help spread the word. Simeon had received a word from the Spirit, but we don't have any record that Anna had received any such promise or word. No such vision or, or anything from God for decades Anna worshipped. And we don't know if God ever spoke to her. If she ever had an experience like Simeon had. 
Maybe she felt his presence as we often do in worship or prayer or when we're spending time studying God's word or something like that. When God graciously allows us to experience his love in some physical way, but we don't know what she felt. But still, she believed. And she waited for the Messiah. And she prayed. And she was faithful. And in the end, God gave her the most incredible gift. She got to see Jesus. Promised thousands of years before, she believed God and He was faithful. The birth of Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise and God invited Simeon and Anna after years of faithfulness and believing the promises of God would be fulfilled to be some of the very first witnesses and testimony of the birth of his son.